The following message is from the 2014 IBCD Summer Institute, Making Peace with the Past. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word, and uh, Lord, left to ourselves, we would just um, run amok with all kinds of ideas that aren't pleasing to you and that lead us into all kinds of heartache. And Lord, I pray that you'd guide us in this next hour as we study your word, that you'd give us wisdom as we seek to apply the scriptures to this um, um, situation of singleness and how we can best understand it and care for those who are single and, uh, and help them think through it biblically as well. And so we pray your blessing upon this hour. Give us strength as there have been many things that have happened today and our bodies and our minds may be tired. We pray that um, you by your spirit would work in our hearts during this hour. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Great. So um, we want to talk about singleness and just ex examining that as a concept biblically. And I just want to tell you why I wanted to do this talk. And it was really selfish, to be honest. And it's because I realized I didn't know what to say to people who were single. As someone who was single and then is now married and has some children, I was just finding um, that I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to think of singleness very well biblically. Um, and so I wanted to think more about it. And I have some, some great friends who are single and who are doing that well, and then some who are, have struggled in that, and just made me really want to understand it a little bit better. And so that's kind of where this came from. And I realized that I had a real gap in my theology of understanding singleness biblically. I had just kind of absorbed ideas about it that I realized later weren't very helpful or biblical. And it's been interesting because since having studied it uh, over the last few years, just been thinking on these things a bit more, um, listening to counsel that's given to singles and comments that are made, I just, I shudder, I cringe. I know I've made them, I'm learning. It's not, not perfect or anything, but um, I'd like to open it up to you just briefly. Are, what are things that have been said to, to those of you, how many of you are single currently here that are in here? Okay, so we have some who are single and some who aren't, which I love about this as well, because as I've studied it, part of what I've realized is um, those who are single have to know how to think about being single, but so much of the problem is those who aren't single don't know how to think about being single, and it's not helping anything. It's just, it's making it worse. But um, what are comments that are made to singles sometimes that are hurtful or could be hurtful? Do you have any in mind? Yes. Well, you've got time. Yeah. Well, you have time, and these tasks are, are just divvied out. Um, yes. A as though marriage and family is the, the priority that trumps everything else. And, and if you don't have that, oh, then obviously you can, can do these things. We'll get to that in a minute. Any other things that come to mind? Yes. Uh, a single gal at our church in her 40s, and she said yes. she's just had everything. She, she shared with me she's had just all kinds of cruel things said to her and people she could say they didn't they weren't thinking it was cruel but right. it's terrible like um, everything from well why aren't you married or, or I'm sure you're waiting mm -hmm. to you oh do you per, not prefer men. Oh. Yeah. Even even oh. assuming lesbians. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so there are all kinds of things, and I guess I, I probably need to keep moving it along. Otherwise, we could just kind of talk about those things. We want to focus on the, the right things to be saying. But then even some theological things that get thrown out, too. As soon as you're satisfied with God alone, he'll bring someone special into your life, right? Um, 
where is that going theologically? I mean, that's just a, a horrible thing to think. As though all of us who are married have somehow arrived at some spiritual plateau to receive that. That's what's mind-boggling about that whole thing. Uh, if, if I were single and someone said that to me, I would just, uh, it would be interesting to be thinking about that. Um, you're too picky. That's why you're still single. You know, just kind of dumped back on you of why you're in this situation. Before you can marry someone wonderful, the Lord has to make you someone wonderful, right? So you're just, you just need to become more wonderful is really what that's saying, even though the people say it with a smile. Um, but unfortunately, these are things that are floating around in the church and, and often said to those who are single, and um, it's unfortunate. So what I want to do is a brief theology of singleness, and I put brief in there for myself because this could easily just consume hours upon hours. And I just want to point out one resource if you want more of this. Barry Danny Lack has written a book, Redeeming Singleness, How the Storyline of Scripture Affirms the Single Life. I want to tell you what this book does and doesn't do. And it's listed in the back, and it's also downstairs. But it gives a biblical theology of the concept of singleness. It's a serious biblical study. It's great. But if you're looking to say, how should a single apply this thinking, or how should we counsel them? That's not in it. But a biblical theology of singleness, it does an amazing job at tracing that concept. And I found it incredibly edifying. So I'm going to try and summarize some of what's going on in that book. But when we come to the Old Testament, it's really important to understand that the Old Testament was built upon um, this precedent of wanting to bring about the seed, right? Um, the, the chosen people, the chosen race, and from them ultimately would come the Messiah. And so the whole Old Testament structure was focused on marriage and procreation as being an indication of the blessing of God. You read the blessings and curses, right? And boy, if you obey the Lord, everyone's having babies. Plants are having babies. You know, plants are shooting up. Your cows are having babies. Like, however you want to, I probably didn't say that quite right. But uh, everything is fruitful, including marriages and procreation. Barrenness is a sign of God's curse in the Old Covenant, right? It's important for us to understand these are Old Covenant thoughts um, because sometimes we translate them through. Marriage and procreation were essential for bringing about the offspring, Christ. Your offspring will be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. But what we find progressing is you see that the seed is spreading, but then the seed fails and then it, it tunnels in in the prophets and you realize, wait a minute, all this was to bring about the seed. And then once the seed comes, this idea of family is radically reshaped. There's continuity for sure, but there's much more emphasis as we come to the New Testament, not so much on one's physical offspring, although that's very important, but now the understanding of the spiritual offspring of which we are all a part by faith. And we're going to see in the New Testament, radical things are being said. And so also realize that in the Old Covenant, marriage and procreation were essential to maintaining one's inheritance in the land. And, you know, we were talking about Ruth a little bit, Naomi, um, if you were to die without children to maintain your inheritance, it would go to another. And your inheritance in their thinking was so much of 
it's, it's the continuation of you. It's, it's your legacy. It's, it's more than a legacy. It's what God has given you. And so it's a sign of his curse if you fail to continue to possess that inheritance. And so do you see how tied that is? That you don't have voluntary singleness happening in the Old Testament. Really, the only times we see it is when God intervenes and tells someone to be single for a reason to demonstrate something like Jeremiah. Uh, but then also you obviously have um, widowhood and things like that taking place. But the norm is be married, procreate, gain an inheritance, produce the, the seed uh, is kind of what's going on. So keep that in your mind as you come to the New Testament that everyone is thinking this is the norm and we need to have children and we need to carry on our name and this is what has to happen. And they just didn't even have a category really for the single life. Then you come to the New Testament and there's this transition from the expectation of covenantal blessings from the plural seed to the singular seed that becomes really explicit. Jesus, uh, as the promised seed of Abraham comes, all who are united to him by faith now receive the blessings of the new covenant. So that's a radical shift that's going on. And Jesus' teaching explicitly affirms this transition. And one of the places that we may not always pick up on about this is in Matthew 19. Um, if you remember, that's the divorce passage, right? When you hear Matthew 19, you have the Pharisees coming up and asking, hey, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any reason? Jesus ups the ante, helps them re-understand the institution of marriage and how rare divorce is actually to be. And then the disciples in verse 10, they say to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Understand that in their context. They're, what do you think they're expecting Jesus to say? They're probably saying it kind of as a joke. You know, it's better not to marry. And he would jump in, oh no, how could you not marry? I mean, that's what we do. We have children, we marry. And I think they would have been completely shocked when he says to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuch, eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. That's a radical change because eunuchs in the old covenant were not allowed into um, as much temple access as um, the, the rest of the people of Israel. They were cut off and alienated in many ways. They were outsiders because they weren't able to function in that same role as the other people were. Jesus is now saying there are eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. Some who are born this way, some who find themselves in this predicament because opposing armies have made that happen, and then some who have chosen to be for the sake of the kingdom. I think the disciples would have just been flabbergasted by this transition that's happening as Jesus is affirming this single life. Jesus also makes it clear that marriage is an institution of this age. Remember when the Sadducees come to him and they tell that big long story, well, whose wife will it be if you believe in the resurrection type thing? And what does Jesus say? Don't you guys know there isn't marriage in heaven? And it's interesting to think about that because so often I think in our Christian thinking sometimes, marriage and family becomes this pinnacle of spiritual development that really, it's a great thing. We're going to talk about that. It has a lot of significance. But do you realize it's an institution of this age? We will not be married in heaven. And I know many married people who try and like 
rationalize that somehow in their head. Well, we'll have bunks next to each other or something or whatever, you know? And it's just like, no, you've got to have this, this concept blown out of your mind that the intimacy we will share with one another and with our God will make marriage seem like the shadow that it really is. Um, and so Jesus makes that really clear that, hey, this is, this is an earthly institution. And then what he does on the positive note is he teaches about the primacy of one's spiritual family. He upheld the commandments in regard to family, about divorce and, and things like that. He upheld it all. But yet he also established the primacy of one's spiritual family. And if you listen to how Jesus talks through the words of Scripture about what he's saying, it's just striking. Mark 3, 34 and 35, Jesus says that his true family consists of those who do the will of God. Those are my mothers. Uh, those are my mother and my brothers. Um, in Mark 3. In Mark 10, Jesus states that those who have left their families for Jesus' sake and for the gospel will receive a hundredfold now in this time, though with persecutions. And it shows that there's not only a family that is to come one day, but that these new spiritual relationships that we have actually supersede or are more important than physical family relationships is what he's saying there. That there are times when you leave your physical family for the sake of the gospel. And then in Luke 11, um, if you remember, the, they're saying, blessed is your mom, you know, um, because she bore you. And Jesus shifts that from this, oh yeah, my mother is so blessed because of me to, no, who are the blessed ones? Those who actually do the word of God. It's again, instead of this physical family, it's shooting it out to this spiritual family. And then this is so striking in John 19, 26, when Jesus is on the cross caring for his mother, right? And says to, to Mary, behold your son, to whom? To John, who's not her physical son. She had other physical sons. And yet Jesus is establishing again, mom, I want you to understand that he is your son in the faith and he can care for you in a way maybe even that your physical sons can't care for you at this time. It's a radical statement that's taking place in what Jesus is saying. Paul continues this. He speaks of his relationship to believers in familial terms. A lot of times we read the Bible and we think, that's just nice that he said brother, sister, father in the faith. No, Paul's not dumb when he's writing these things. He's doing this intentionally saying, you are my brothers and sisters in the faith. I am a father to you. You are my son. He's viewing life now in terms of our spiritual family uh, in how he thinks of things. Begetting children through the gospel, he talks about. Admonishing believers as children and as infants. Caring for them as a nursing mother. Encouraging as a father with his children. And he talks of his spiritual children as a crown of boasting and his glory and his joy. Do you see that shift from what would an Old Testament Israelite have thought of as their crown of boasting and their glory and joy, their inheritance in the land and their physical offspring, right? And now Paul is saying, look, this is my inheritance, my glory, my joy to see those who are in the faith. Uh, just radical. He again affirms that marriage is an institution of this age so we can engage in it, but we're not to be engrossed by it. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 7 a little bit later. And he affirms that marriage brings with it responsibilities of this age, but singleness allows one to more single-mindedly serve the Lord. He's going to talk about the benefits of singleness. 
And this is something that I just find fascinating as we kind of wrap up our, our biblical theology of singleness. Jesus' life and Paul's life affirm this transition by example. It's a fascinating thing sometimes to hear how we talk to people who are not married and then think, would we say that to Jesus? Would we say that to Paul? That you're not, you're not really complete yet and wait until you're married, then you'll learn and da 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 like all these things. And, and I think we have a gap in our theology sometimes of the robustness of the spiritual life that the scriptures affirm for those who are not married. And it's a category that's often missing. Um, and Jesus and Paul, they live single lives, but did you know, do you notice how richly personal their lives were? They weren't just monks off somewhere too. They had family um, and, uh, to whom they ministered and with whom they ministered. So it's just a beautiful picture that the scriptures hold out. So that's, that's just understanding, okay, do we have the biblical categories of what's taking place in the Bible when we come to these passages? And so we don't, we don't think in old covenant ways of, oh, if a person's not married, God must be displeased with them. And if a person's not having children, God must not be pleased with them. That's old covenant thinking. Let's, let's understand new covenant thinking. How then do we think of marriage and singleness? And um, I think what's really helpful to do is first of all, think realistically about marriage and then think realistically about singleness. Um, because it's amazing. You can hear people <laughs> almost talk out of both sides of their mouth. Like one minute they'll be like, oh, my husband, my kids, blah, 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 blah. And then they see a single person, oh, you poor thing, you're not married. And you're just like, wait a minute, what, <laughs> what just happened here? It's like, what's really going on here? And so uh, there's a disconnect there. I think a helpful framework for us to think about and then to be able to impart to others is that marriage and singleness are both blessings given by God. They are blessings given by God. And so we have to think about, well, how do blessings work in the Christian life? All believers live life with different blessings and different challenges, right? Um, God is good in both his giving and his withholding of particular blessings. And so I have passages listed in your notes, but God is the giver of all good gifts, James 1 and Romans 8.32 and Matthew 7 of, of how the Father gives us such good things. And again, it's just that disclaimer there, the giving or withholding of a blessing is no longer favor and curse as it was in the old covenant. And we go there, don't we? With all kinds of blessings. And one that I like to run through my mind as a paradigm is wealth, right? Some people are blessed with a lot of money. Some people are blessed with not having a lot of money. But if we, if we look at money as the blessing or material wealth, um, it's, a, it's just important to understand that with the blessing of having wealth, also comes a lot of challenges with it, right? Huge temptation to abuse that, to find all our hope in that. Um, so there are challenges. There are also great benefits, being able to bless others with it, being able to give freely and help and, and not have to fret about some things that other people may be tempted to worry about. So blessings and challenges with the blessing of wealth. But then those who have not received as much of the blessing of wealth, there are challenges associated with that, right? That it, you can be tempted to worry about where's the next you know, paycheck coming from, things like that. It can be more difficult to do 
um, normal tasks, it, you're not able to give to others in the way you wish you really could. Boy, I wish I could help, and I just can't right now, with financially at least. But there are also good parts of not having as much money too. A lot less to be concerned about. It's a lot. It can be a lot less tempting to find all your hope in that because you don't have it. You know. So that's what we have to think about as we think about these blessings. Where we're tempted to go is, oh, I don't have much money. God must not be smiling upon me. No, that's not where we go. Um, Think of it as they both have pros and cons, really. And both people in both situations are cared for by God and given exactly what he deems they need for this time of their life. And that's where the focus has to go as we think about marriage or singleness is really that you are swimming in an ocean of God's care, not floundering in some desert waiting to earn blessing of rain. And unfortunately, I think a lot of the rhetoric and what we can be tempted to think when we find ourselves in a situation where maybe we desire a blessing. There are many singles who desire the blessing of marriage. And I'm going to say later, that's okay. I'll say it now, I guess. But Desiring that doesn't mean that right now God doesn't care and God isn't good and God isn't giving. And it's just helping us to see how he's giving. And it looks differently uh, than he's giving to those who are married. There's different things. So let's talk about marriage realistically, right? Marriage has its own blessings and challenges. It is a relationship given by God to address the aloneness found in Genesis 2.18. Notice that I said, though, it is a relationship given by God to address it. Not that it is the only way that is addressed. The It is not good for man to be alone. It, there's a functional thing to it, but then there's also just the Trinitarian understanding of the inter-Trinitarian fellowship, intra-Trinitarian fellowship between the persons of the Godhead. And we created in that image are social beings who need other creatures like us, other image bearers to socialize with. Um, marriage is obviously a key way that God addresses that, but it's not the only way. Marriage has significance that can point to important theological truths. And I think maybe this is what makes us weight marriage so heavily, is that it's so explicit in like Ephesians 5. I'm speaking of a mystery, Christ and his church, when he's talking about husbands loving your wives and wives submitting to their husbands. And immediately we're teleported out to saying, Marriage, when done in a way that glorifies God, points to incredible truths about how God cares for us and relates to us, right? And so I've listed some of those truths. A husband's love is to demonstrate Christ's self-sacrificing, sanctifying love for his church. That's what Ephesians 5 is saying. A wife's help and submission is to demonstrate Christ's equality, yet submission to the Father and the church's submission to Christ. It's this beautiful picture that's going on. But reality check here, right? The degree to which this takes place in an individual marriage can vary greatly. Just the fact that you're married doesn't mean you're depicting well Christ and his church. And that's where that double-sided part comes out, right? Like, oh, it's such a spiritual thing. Well, if you were to watch the last week of this household, You may have said, that wasn't really resonating. Like, I wasn't overwhelmed with his self-sacrificing love and her um, unyielding devotion to caring for him as a helper, you know. Um, So understand that just because it can convey theological truths doesn't mean that it does. Um, And so that's a call to those who are married to say, are we actually making it image these things? 
Marriage is also a temporary blessing. Our lives begin single. And for most of us, our lives will end single. It is rare that people die. Well, anyhow, yeah, we, many of, do the math on that. But anyhow, it works out. We will uh, end single. Um, the concept of an eternal soulmate, do you realize that that's not a biblical one? It's one that's thrown around. It's in movies a lot, um, but not informed by by scripture. It's a temporary blessing. It won't continue in the age to come. It's an imperfect foretaste of true fellowship that will occur between God and man in the age to come. Marriage also has an impact on what one is able to do for the kingdom of God. Ain't that the truth? Um, and in so many ways, it can create an intimate, satisfying relationship where we can glorify God. Ephesians 5, it's doing amazing things. But it also brings with it many concerns and obligations of this age, which can create tension in the life of the believer. And that's what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 7. When he says, I want you to be, in verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. Don't read worldly as in sinful things read worldly as the things of this age that will pass away. Some of them have lasting benefits, some don't. But he's preoccupied with worldly things, how to please his wife. His interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your, what? Undivided devotion to the Lord. Um, in either state there, but he's really bringing out how marriage brings distractions and things of this age that we would be sinning to neglect, to just say, well, it's, it's heaven in my spiritual family that matters, so I'm not going to work and provide for my physical family, and I'm not going to spend time raising my children well um, or loving my wife because that's worldly. No, that, that would be sinning. <laughs> that's a problem. So just understand the restrictions that apply there. So does that make sense? Marriage is a blessing given by God and it has blessings and challenges. And we can be honest and real about those things. I think that's a way that those who are married um, can interact well with single people of, of affirming the cool blessings that singleness brings, also affirming the unique struggles that it brings. Boy, that must be difficult. We'll talk about some of the, the difficult things. But then also we can be honest too. Like marriage isn't this perfect, wonderful thing that solves everything. And it has struggles and it has some great benefits too. And we can talk openly and caringly about those things. Let's talk about singleness then, now that marriage has hope, hopefully been brought back to earth a little bit. Still a blessing given by God though. Singleness has its own blessings and challenges. Aloneness is not only answered through marriage. And again, Jesus just makes this so clear as he didn't take a wife and he emphasized so much that he has spiritual family and relationships, not merely his physical uh, family as a part of that. So it's not the only way aloneness can be dealt with. It's the fellowship, especially with the church that, that can help deal with that. Singleness has a significance that points to important theological truths. The problem is we probably just haven't heard these all the time in sermons on Mother's Day or something like that, you know? I'm not against, obviously, preaching on Mother's Day if it's a Sunday. But let's talk about what some of that significance is. 
The fact that singleness is an acceptable way of life now in the new covenant is testimony to the fact that the age to come has broken in upon this age. That's an amazing thing that when we can say as Christians, we can affirm that single people are loved by God and have an important place in the church. Um, that's saying, wait a minute, we've come a long way that we're getting closer now to the point when we are all single fellowshipping as the spiritual body of Christ one day. So it's a reality for us that, wow, amazing things are happening. Sometimes we may look around and say, oh, there are single people in our church. Boy, we need to fix that. No, it can be a testimony of good things that God is doing among us. It is a testimony of that. Um, also, the concept of the eunuch in Scripture reminds us of the theological significance of a single's dependence upon Christ for all things. Why did kings want eunuchs around them? They wanted eunuchs around them because eunuchs had only one interest, and that's that the king did well. Because if the king goes down, they die. They have no inheritance. They have no offspring. They are dependent upon the king for everything. And so that's, that's why um, castration and things would forcibly happen um, in order to preserve this, this group of people that the king could trust because the king needed them. Now, in a much less selfish way, um, we see those truths being illustrated in, um, in the kingdom of God, that those who um, are seeking to serve him um, spiritually, especially as single people, are dependent upon him in ways that those who have families may not be, um, especially single ladies who don't have a husband bringing that income like some other people may have happening, especially if children haven't been brought into the picture. Um, and so it's, it's placing you in a place of dependence upon God that can be a very beautiful and poignant thing to others around who by nature are so tempted to do what? To find all of our hope and all of our identity in the tangible around us and not be dependent upon our king and not be thinking, how can we serve our king? And not be thinking, I want his kingdom to succeed because it is everything to me. It is to us all, married or single. Um, but singleness can especially vividly portray the ability that we have to be dependent upon God for everything. And um, I, um, I find that really as a powerful corrective in my own life of um, how much I can just look to the institutions of this age to be what satisfies, what gives me security, what gives me identity. And having that stripped away or as not part of this particular time in your life um, is an opportunity to see Wow, I can relate to God and depend on him in, a, in an, a way that's not distracted by these other things and can show others how good God can be to us and how good he is to us. Singleness is also a powerful reminder to married people that marriage is a temporary institution of this age. I think that's really helpful because what happens? We just become all consumed by whatever's going on in our life. And realizing that, oh, wait, not everyone is married. Not everyone's running around with little kids. That's why the diversity in the body of Christ is just such a helpful thing because it reminds us, well, wait a minute. 
the, the world and what God is doing is just far bigger than just my little family. And so looking around and seeing that diversity is a helpful testimony to that. But just as with marriage, the degree to which one's life demonstrates these things can vary greatly. Some singles um, I speak with and talk to and, and watch their way of life, and I praise God for them. And then others, I'm concerned for their soul. I, I care for them because they're, they're not doing it well. And it's not exemplifying all these glorious things that could. Just like when you talk with a married person, for some you just, you just give glory to God for what he's doing, and others you say, oh boy, we need to work here, <laughs> you know. Um, there's so much that can be done. So do you see how understanding both of these things as, as blessings in their various blessings and challenges can be helpful? <clears throat> also, let's, let's just fill out the singleness one a little bit more. The state of singleness may be a temporary situation, just like marriage can be a temporary situation. Your state of singleness may change, and, and we don't know what the Lord is going to do. And so that's a helpful thing to, to keep in the picture of understanding it as a blessing. Um, one of the friends I have who, who does singleness so well and is just glorifying God, I was talking to her about, how do you do that? What have you found that's so helpful? And she said, I, just, I focus on the fact that God has made me single for today. And I don't think I am now single for the rest of my life. Or, and, and it goes back to Jesus, right? Matthew 36, why do you worry about tomorrow? Tomorrow will take care of itself. So focusing it just on right now, I have the blessing of being single. And how can I honor God this way? I don't know what will come, just as those of us who are married. We don't know how long that may last. There are all kinds of things that can alter that situation. Listen to this by Paige Benton. I just find this paragraph so helpful because uh, it just addresses so many of these things. I am not single because I am too spiritually unstable to possibly deserve a husband, nor because I'm too spiritually mature to possibly need one. Those are the two extremes we can go, right? I don't need one. I'm too spiritual. I'm not spiritual enough to get one. You know, that those can be. I am single because God is so abundantly good to me. Do you hear that ocean of his care that she's floating in? Because this is his best for me. It is a cosmic impossibility that anything could be better for me right now than being single. You can fill in the blank with anything there, but I find that statement so powerful to realize it is a cosmic impossibility that there could be anything better out there for me right now. Um, God knows what is best and knows what I need. And you can think this too. You get a flat tire on the side of the road and I have this going through my head. It's a cosmic impossibility that this is not the best thing for me right now. And it's like, why Lord? But, but, but we need to think this way. And again, we go back to the law, don't we? Oh, I'm in this state because God is displeased and withholding. And the gospel says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how much will he not also graciously give us most things, but not the things you really want until you're really spiritual? No, all things. And he's working all things together for your good, for his glory, that you'd be conformed to the image of Christ, Romans 8. So that's where we have to go as we view it as this temporary situation. And then singleness has an impact on what one is able to do for the kingdom of God. Um, and, and this is just fascinating. While singles may not be able to participate in the physical intimacy of marriage, 
um, they may have greater opportunity for spiritual intimacy than most married people. Boy, as you do marriage counseling, you find that to be really true, don't you? As you find these people who share the same house and maybe share the same bed, um, their souls are not knit together very well. But you can find people who aren't married, whose souls are knit together deeply by these bonds that we have in Christ. And one, one thing that's fascinating as you study this too is so many, there are, there are books on, on Christian sex and they have chapters in them on singleness. And it's just so fascinating how um, they're starting to understand just the, the overemphasis we can place on the sexual union as this <coughs> epitomacy of all intimacy, when really, what is it again? It's a shadow of a greater intimacy and an intimacy that we're tasting here and now in fellowship with one another that can be fostered even more. So um, singles have the opportunity to grow in spiritual intimacy with other people, and they have opportunity to do that sometimes in a way that those who are having to give attention to their spouse and growing in intimacy with their spouse and caring for their children have less left or less opportunities that way, so it can be viewed as an opportunity. The gift of singleness. There's been a lot of ink spilled on the gift of singleness. Um, and I think, I think there are some misconceptions about it. And I'll just tell you what my understanding of it would be. When we think about spiritual gifts, what are they? They're supernatural empowerments to edify the body of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. Are they all things that we're just zapped with and then you just maintain it at a perfect level? No, they're things that you grow in, right? So this gift of singleness, I was always scared to get the gift of singleness because what that meant to me is I'd really want to be married and God, say, God would say, it's better for you not to be married. And I'd have the gift of singleness. That's a pretty twisted gift, right? Um, and again, what kind of God would do something like that? Like, why, are, why do we even think in those categories? But if we, if we think of it as a supernatural empowerment to build others up in the body of Christ, then, then it makes so much sense that those who find themselves in a state of singleness can be empowered by the Spirit to minister in a special way to the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And that that is something that you can grow in. It doesn't mean you're just zapped with it and, and that. You can also desire still, I believe, the blessing of marriage, but understanding that while you're in this single state, you're seeking to wholeheartedly edify the body as best as you can. Just like those of us who are in other um, institutions are seeking to best glorify the God with what we find ourselves in as well. And so um, I think that's a helpful way just of looking in that, and we could talk a lot about that, but we, we won't. Um, but just being single does not mean that one is more productive in kingdom activity. It can mean, and I, I think of, you know, the single bachelor pad, like it can mean you just play a lot more video games than other people or something, or that you eat a lot more ramen uh, than anyone else. But, um, but it's an opportunity to live and serve in a way that the commitments of marriage and a physical family do not always allow. And so just acknowledging that and seeing it for the blessing that it is and seeking to take advantage of that. Some do not have the desire or the... Some do not desire to have the blessing of marriage, and others do. And I don't think that's something we have to get as hung up on as we sometimes do. And that's what I find interesting, too, as married people sometimes talk to single people, is it's immediately like, well, do you want to be single for your whole life? I don't know that that's the question we have to be asking at the moment, uh, necessarily. It's kind of the, how are you doing and where you find yourself today? 
And then also it's perfectly appropriate for a single person to desire to be married. Um, and I think that's sometimes the answer that we're looking for. Oh no, I want to be married. Um, but then it's also perfectly appropriate, and this can be hard for us sometimes to say, um, no, right now I don't really desire that, and I'm really engaged in opportunities that the Lord has given me in job and in and church and in family and other friends and the body of Christ, and that's not really a pressing desire for me right now. Okay, that that's fine. It's a blessing given by God, and we desire different blessings to various degrees. Um, but when we talk about desire, as soon as we think of the word desire, we have to think, you can desire something in a right way and you can desire something in a wrong way, right? And so the issue isn't for me so much, do you desire to be single or married, but how are you doing with that desire? Some may be desiring, may be desiring marriage in a way that's inherently sinful. They're desiring it because they fix the, think that it's going to fix everything. They desire it because they crave intimacy that, that they're not finding anywhere else and, and that they haven't sought to find. You know, they're there are issues that can be associated with that as well. And um, some can be just desiring it so that they'll fit in or that so life will be easier or whatever it may be. There can be wrong ways to desire it. But then there can also be wrong ways to not desire it. Um, some who do not desire to be married can be doing that because they selfishly don't want to love and serve another person. And they, they like their own way and they like their freedom and all those kinds of things. They may have contempt for the opposite sex. Um, they may not be willing to invest in other relationships. And so at the root of that, we say, oh, the reason you're desiring to stay in the single state is actually out of selfishness. And that's something we'd want to address so that the person who's desiring or not desiring is doing that based on a heart that's just filled with gratitude and um, thinking properly about the situation. And so a desire for a blessing then does not mean that you are less spiritual. Um, desiring to be married doesn't mean that you're less spiritual than someone who desires to be single, which it's fascinating because in our society right now, I feel like in the church at least, we've really shifted and swung to this as societies more downplaying marriage and singleness is actually on the rise and just cohabitation and things like that. I think the church is reacting saying marriage, family, really emphasizing that, which there, there's a great importance to that. But it's interesting to think back through church history, what was a lot of the emphasis? Oh, marriage, family, no, no. Being celibate, being a, a monk and a nun, that's what's really spiritual, right? And so we can kind of oscillate back and forth in those things, and we want to just see them for the way that God sees them. So let's just summarize then what God-honoring singleness is. God-honoring singleness then is learning to embrace the blessings that God has given and withheld as what is best for your life right now and seeking to please him in that particular situation, which is the same in every situation you find yourself in in life, right? Whatever job you're working in, whatever church, things like that. Um, but sometimes there are gaps in our theology that don't enable us to see it that way. And so it's helpful to be on... Um, help people understand this. I know in the title, it's helping singles think biblically about, you know, the past, present, and future. So much of the talk really is thinking about the present of this is where God has you now. But as you think about it all, it's, it's thinking in trust of God and trust in his love. Trust that in the past, things worked out or didn't work out out of his love. 
and that he's doing good things even in that and brought you to the present out of his love and you can trust him and seek to please him and the future is left up to him because you can trust his love and that he knows what state will be best for you to be in a month, a year, 10 years from now. And you can just walk in that dependent childlike faith state that we see held out in scripture, but sometimes can be very difficult within the pressures of, of life and, uh, and walking through this life with or without a spouse. So any questions as I just, so what we've done so far, biblical theology of singleness, it's changed as we get to the New Testament, spiritual family, radical priority, um, don't view it as blessings and curses any longer. And then we've talked about what's a helpful way to think about singleness and marriage. They're both blessings given by God and have various pros and cons, for lack of a better word, and can do, signify amazing spiritual realities and can do amazing spiritual good. Any questions on those parts so far? Okay, well, I can, I'll try and leave. <laughs> we are close to the end already, I'll say at the end. But um, I just want to talk now practically as we've landed. Like those to me are the categories. What can we do practically um, to better help those who are single or as we are dealing with singleness? Com it's important for us to all understand common struggles for singles. And I think it's good to be educating the church about these things. Um, loneliness is a, a common struggle for those who are single. And then especially at certain times and events in life, right? Um, holidays can be a very difficult time and it's important for us as the body of Christ to understand that as we're all talking about family plans that we have and all these kinds of things that can be a very hard time for others how can we demonstrate we're family you can be in on our family like it's not just my physical family that now takes all precedence in this so understand holidays taking a vacation uh, can could be a very lonely time um, whereas Anyhow, um, weddings, watching one more person share in what you desire sometimes or, or what once was and, and now is not. Um, brothers and sisters, particularly having children as it's acknowledging. The, the opportunity for marriage may always come, we don't know, but there is a time in which the opportunity for children does cease to happen. And there can be a mourning of what could have been. And it's an important thing to understand that, that there are chapters in life that are closing about that and, and that can be a different, a difficult thing. Um, and so being sensitive to the ticking clock that especially many single women feel um, in terms of that, but men feel that as, as well in terms of how long they're going without having children and just doing the math there. So those are some common struggles for singles. And then areas of growth for the church. So thinking about addressing the church that all of us can be seeking to better help Teach the church about the realities of marriage, right? Let it, let it be seen for what it is as a great blessing, but as one that doesn't solve everything and one that needs to be done well to, to do the things that God wants it to do. Um, so don't downplay it, don't overexalt it. Many singles struggle because they and people around them have an improper concept of the relative importance of, the, of marriage. It's a relative importance, it's a shadow. Teach the church to cherish and invest in their spiritual family. Be talking about the family of God. Use brother-sister language. Talk about how excited you are to be with the family of God. And cultivate even in your own thinking that our physical families are not the primary sphere in which 
uh, we see God working al alone, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. They are a great sphere for that, but it's much, it's much bigger and beyond that. Um, the body of Christ is strengthened by embracing this diversity and loving one another in the different places of life. And then teach the church to think of how they can specifically love single people in the congregation. So much of our activities and planning is focused on how do we care for the people who have families and who are married? Let's do a marriage retreat. Let's make sure we offer da, 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 da. Have we thought about as a church, how are we caring for those who are single? Um, how are we doing that? So many hurtful situations, and this happened before we even start, didn't happen, but we talked about it. Hopefully it didn't happen before we started. Many hurtful situations occur because of ignorance. And I think that's what was reflected is a lot of hurtful things are said, but we acknowledge that in the church, most people aren't trying to hurt others by how these things are said, but it's just not on our radar to think about these things the way God thinks about them. Help people brainstorm how they can integrate singles into the life of the congregation. And that goes beyond just saying, oh, will you come over for dinner because our numbers are odd? Um, you know, and we can balance that out because I have an empty chair or something like that. It's an intentional reaching out um, to have the body of Christ involved in our lives in the various aspects in which we've, we find ourselves. Um, and so that's something that the church can brainstorm. Having um, people over for meals and special events, also not just to babysit or to introduce to other singles. Spending time with them, I think this is a big one, spending the time with them in discipleship. Just talking with them, showing that you care about their life and that God has placed them in your life that your hearts could be knit together. And so walking through life with them, talking with them, especially through life decisions. You know how hard major life decisions are uh, when you don't have someone close to bounce that idea off of? And that's what often functions in marriages. I'll bounce this idea off my spouse because I'm just overwhelmed with all the choices or something. As the body of Christ, we be can become those sounding boards and helping people as they think through, what car should I get next? Should I really get a new roof on my house? Like just being helping people talk through those things as they find themselves in need. Giving opportunities for mentorship. And um, I, I see that in both ways. Sometimes we may think we, we overlook singles as that they can pour into others in the church in an amazing way. So how can we tap them into that and help them do that? Um, not as, oh, we're all too busy. Can you just do it for us? But wow, you have an amazing opportunity here and there are people desperately in need. Let's capitalize on this together. And then also being able to talk with about relationships, especially for those who do desire marriage and are trying to balance their present state of singleness with these relationships that are happening. They need someone to talk to, especially a mature believer, to think through these things. Not just, you know, the giddy girl talk of, um, not just that girls do it, boys do it too. So the giddy talk of just like, oh, da, 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 and stuff. No, they need someone to really evaluate the other person with them and, and those kinds of things. And then also just the encouraging and thanking um, those in the church, especially who find themselves single, for what they do for the church. Having eyes that see that and really thank them for them doing, being able to do what Paul says, that, wow, they're able to care in a way that some of us aren't able to at this time. Thank you for doing that. It has ministered to me so much that you're able to do that. So just as a concluding thing, and then we could open it up for 
any questions or discussion, but an approach for counseling singles. And it, again, it's, it's not this detailed thing, but empathize and engage in the counselee's emotional trials. It's okay to say, boy, that's difficult. Wow, that's hard that you find yourself in this particular, that, that you're struggling with this particular aspect of being single, that this decision is overwhelming or the loneliness that you felt last Christmas or wow, boy, that is hard. Um, what is God teaching you through that? How's the body of Christ working? There, there's a lot of ways we can go in that, but empathizing and engaging, not just saying, well, I hope you get married someday and it fixes that, you know, or something <laughs> like that. No, we can, we can engage on this. Help the person think through marriage and singleness biblically. And that's where you'll find we're usually tipping to one way or another, clinging to singleness for wrong reasons and despising marriage, or maybe holding up marriage as it's going to solve everything and not seeing singleness for the blessing that it currently is. And so just being able to gently especially bring that up um, and then help the person with other areas of wrong or inadequate thinking. So these are some topics that may come up. And then this is where the rest of biblical counseling just buttresses this. But the sovereignty of God with the situation. People may be really grappling with that. Oh, if I would have followed this relationship more, maybe that one would have worked out. Or why didn't she return my call here? All this kind of stuff. And that we can point to a sovereign God in that ocean of love and care is where we're directing them. The goodness of God's gifts. We all need to hear that, don't we? That God is the giver of good gifts and the withholder in a good way of gifts. And that's important to understand as we've talked about. How to deal with desires properly. Why are you desiring or not desiring what you're desiring? And so we go to James 4 and we go to Isaiah 55 and we go to these idolatry type things and just explore these things. And then dealing with worry. Where it can be a huge struggle as the future can seem so much less certain sometimes to single people. It's uncertain for all of us, um, but it's just a, a matter of perception. And so the worry passages that are listed today, and then again, that, that thing about focus on being single for today, as Matthew 6 talks about. Christian contentment in a robust way, not in a way that just says just smile. Um, and be happy about whatever you find yourself in, but helping them probe the depths of what is God doing in this situation and how can you rejoice in it? And what are the challenges that we want to um, pray for strength to endure? And then one aspect, especially if someone's desiring marriage or especially like younger singles, what to look for in a potential spouse is somewhere where you want to go and make sure they have good ideas. Timothy Keller's The Meaning of Marriage has an amazing chapter on singleness. Um, it's just great. And then the rest of the book works really well to hold forth a realistic God glorifying understanding of what marriage should look like that, that I think can really help people um, desire that if they do in a realistic, helpful way and being um, working on their own lives as well. And then a big thing too is how to handle unhelpful reactions from others. And really a lot of it is to overlook an offense in love. And just to be able to say, they weren't intending to hurt me by what they said, but also helping them see, is there a way later you could lovingly and gently help us become more aware, the rest of the church be more aware, that that's hurtful when we say it like that. And that it, it makes, it tempts us to think certain wrong things. You can make it 
very, it, it tempts me. But you can bring these things up in a Galatians 6 way of, of gently seeking to restore when hurt has occurred. And, and maybe you have to go and, and seek to reconcile because deep hurt has occurred or intentionally occurred. Um, and then the, the other things, encourage the, the person to balance honoring God in singleness with seeking the blessing of marriage if that's what they want to do. Uh, because that can be hard too. Okay, I'm single now, so pour into that. But if I desire to be married, that takes some effort too. So how do I properly balance exploring those relationships? Um, and so that can be something where we can give objective um, counsel that way. And then um, help them think through specific ways to foster his or her spiritual family and serve the Lord in this particular situation. Who has God brought into your life? What situations has he placed you in where you can really thrive in this particular state of, of blessing? And then um, finally, work to connect the person with others in the church who can offer support and who could also be ministered to. So it's twofold, right? You want to make sure they're being cared for, but you also want to make sure that they have an outlet of care because that's where they're really going to start to see the connection with these blessings that God has given as, as they care for spiritual family as well. Um, helpful resources listed there. I've kind of already mentioned them. You can, there are other things out there that are helpful and good. There's a, a CCF booklet on loneliness that helps deal with that topic as well in, in a great way. Questions or comments? I've talked a lot, but I guess that's what you do in a workshop, but uh, <laughs> talk about a topic. But is that helpful to have those categories and thinking about it? Um, for me, it makes it, instead of this thing that I don't know what to talk or think about, it's this robust thing to explore that's a great blessing giving to the church, and that helps me say, wow, there's so much more commonality as well between singles and married people. We're both just dealing with blessings and challenges and seeking how to be useful in the kingdom and struggling with hearts that often don't see it that way. We're, we're all doing that. So, yes. I just wanted to comment. Sure. Um, I know a lot of my girlfriends, they, like, if they had bad relationships or something, they would just say, like, oh, well, I don't need a man. Like, mm -hmm. God is calling me right now. And they kind of see their singleness as a problem mm -hmm. and to fix it. And... Um, I just like what you said, how God like brought you to the present by his love and mm -hmm. how I believe that God's calling us 24-7 no matter what we're going through in our lives and just how um, like it's not a problem to be single and God has like brought you to that specific point in the now. Um, yeah, just kind of looking realistically at, at what has taken place and, and not putting all the evaluative effort on how should this response have been? Was this person a jerk to me and that's why it didn't work out? But the doing it properly is, no, God was working in that. And sure, yeah. sin happened on my part and his part or her part and I, I didn't totally do things right or maybe you did. You know, you can look through it, but a sovereign, loving, caring God who has brought you there um, can be a helpful thing to think through. Yes? Could you talk for a minute about um, online dating and the whole desire to be single and mm -hmm. pursuing it? Um, What's your take on that? Online dating and the desire to be single or desire to no, be married? No, desire to be married. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah, I was like, hmm. Yeah, well, um, you don't have to do online dating if you don't want to. <laughs> Problem solved. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, and again, you know, we're bound by the scriptures as far as what we can say, thus saith the Lord or whatever. But it's, it seems to me that it presents an opportunity to engage in relationships and we have to do so wisely. And... Um, 
I'm trying to think of where to go for it. I think it's a resource that can be used in a, in a really helpful way that it can be difficult in your particular station in life to encounter like-minded thinking um, people, believers and stuff, and it opens up these amazing doors. But with that also comes huge disadvantages as well. It's opening up doors. And so um, doors of heartstrings getting just, it, it can take people on emotional roller coasters and all these kinds of things. So it's one that, again, with, with all these things of you know pursuing going on dates or whatever it might be, um, why am I doing this? Is it out of, okay, I have this, this desire for this blessing and I'm gonna seek to do it in a way that doesn't make it an idol that I'm clinging to. And then how can I go about doing it wisely? And so I wanna be careful in what information I reveal. I wanna make sure I do this safely. This is a great thing to be talking to other people about. Um, we had a, a single friend who we realized like, oh, met this guy online, meeting him, wait, what's going on? Like just kind of the objective of like, that may not be the most safe thing to think, to like to do, let's think through this more. Um, so an avenue to pursue, but to pursue understanding its blessings and challenges. Is that too vague of an answer? Probably. Um, well, you know, I, I don't know if it goes along with, um, you know, just being content and letting the Lord open mm. the doors. I don't know. It's just a hard, yeah. it's a hard thing. And so that's where we see, you know, the truths we have in Scripture about how do we plan anything? How do we pursue goals in life as far as like getting a better job or anything like Like we kind of think through those categories of, okay, we seek to wisely um, do that which we've desired and is not sinful, but we hold it loosely. We make our plans understanding. We make our plans, but the Lord directs our steps. And so um, the idea of, oh, I'll just sit and wait for a better job to come to me, we would probably say is not wise. Mm -hmm. And so also if you desire to be married, God works through means. And part of the means he works through is engaging in relationships. And those can be face-to-face -face, and those can be over the internet and then become face to face, hopefully before the wedding, uh, seems wise. Um, <laughs> um, and so going into those categories. So uh, that, is, that is a great struggle. I'm glad that you raised that of if God doesn't typically drop wives and husbands out of the sky. And so he uses means to do this. And so wisely, wisely engage in those means. And that goes back to also how much time, energy, effort, resources do I pour into this, understanding the primacy of my spiritual family? But in my brain, what pops into my head is 75-25, you know, and just work from there and adjust it as needed. But like, okay, I'm, I'm pouring into the responsibilities. God has blessed me now in this single state. Church, caring for my physical family that I'm still connected with and other relationships. So I'm investing in those. But those can take over a person's life. And then, you know, 10 years later, you think, boy, I should have talked to someone else back there if I had wanted that. So, so that's why I also realize it's okay to carve out time and effort and even resources to fostering relationships with people of the opposite sex, understanding that that's a means God uses to bring about that. Um, so that's where I would go with it. Yeah. I just wanted to echo your, rec echo your recommendation of that Tim Keller book. My mm. husband and I read it aloud to each other on our 20th anniversary trip last wow. year. And um, wow, the, the chapter on singleness was excellent. Yeah. And the whole book is just it's an incredible book in that it works for premarital counseling. It works for marriage going well, marriage not going well. And it works even in singleness too, as he, I mean, he did a masterful job in that. So not everything. She wrote as well, <laughs> chapter six, especially. So yeah. Okay. Well, I have taken your time. If you'd like to um, stick around afterwards, I can talk a little bit more with you, but you've been great. Thank you so much. Looking forward to the rest of the conference with you. Later.
2014, IBCD, all rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.